I want you to think back to the last time that you had one of those bad days. I'm talking about the day that you discovered you had a flat tire. I want you, I'm going to ask you a question about that day. If you can think back to the last one or you can envision your tire going flat. If your tire went flat, would you know how to change it? I'd ask you to raise your hand, but I can't see you. But I want you to, maybe if you're watching uh, in a watch party with some people or with some friends, your family, raise your hand. Could you change it? Or would you need to call somebody? You know, when I got ready to go to college, my dad had a, a list of things that he wanted to make sure that I knew how to do before I went to college. And one of those was how to change a tire. But years later, I was in my deep in my 20s, I got a flat tire one day and I had a really weenie jack for that car. And I wasn't really sure the jack would hold up with the weight of the car. And so I pulled out my phone and I called roadside assistance. And this woman showed up who was older than my mom. She reminded me of my mom and she proceeded to change my tire. Uh, let's just say that I was really embarrassed. It would have been, I think, not a big deal if she was a woman. I'm, you know, I'm not like a hey, woman can't do that, you know, but it was the mom factor that really got to me that day. And I made a commitment that I was going to get a new jack and I wasn't ever going to go through that experience again. The reason why I bring that up is I think a spare tire is a great illustration for what Jesus is concerned about. I, I, I got a spare tire from a friend this week. And um, most of us maybe have a good idea of where our spare tire is in our car. I think few of us have any idea if it's inflated enough to be useful in the event of an emergency. And I think too many of us relate to God the way we do this tire. Our relationship with Jesus is there when we need it, when there's a crisis or an emergency. But many of us go through life not actively thinking about Jesus, depending on Jesus, and aware of Jesus in the midst of our everyday life. And if anything, that metaphor that I didn't have originally. It was from one of the people that I study and preparing for this message. I think sums up what we've been learning in this series. We've been in this fall called, What If Jesus Was Serious? We've been looking at the most significant, well-known teaching of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 where Jesus said some very well-known things, some very difficult things, where he laid out his vision of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the kind of life he's giving us a vision of that we're, we've been exploring in this series for now five weeks is not uh, accessory or uh, in case of emergency, engage this. It is an all-of-life, all-consuming, radically reorienting incredibly challenging vision for our lives. And if we're going to live as Jesus's followers, if we're going to take Jesus seriously with what he says in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, as well as everywhere else, then merely having Jesus as an emergency backup plan is not going to work. 
If we're going to take Jesus seriously, it's going to require us to rethink and reimagine everything about the way we live. And if you're like me, as we've been going through this series, you've seen so many things in your life that you've had to rethink and re-examine. I, I know uh, it's been very uh, rare that I've had a series like this that has humbled me so much because I'm standing up here pointing you to scripture, pointing you to Jesus, challenging you while at the same time, I'm preaching to myself. I'm, I'm talking about stuff that I imperfectly practice. I'm talking about stuff that I don't do well. And yet I, I have a calling to share with you the, the standard, the vision of what Jesus has for us. And that experience reminds me of, of what my life has been like for the last 10 years or so. See, it was about 10 years ago that I embraced four words as a truth about me. And those words are, I am a writer. In addition to being a pastor, I'm a writer. And, and I have, I've struggled at writing. <laughs> the first time I got edited, it was incredibly painful. It was like being back in English class and in high school and getting a paper covered in red and feeling like, man, I must be a, a terrible writer. And I was so encouraged a few years later after that when I, I stumbled on a quote from Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway is one of the most well-known writers in the modern era, the last hundred years. And here's what he said about writing. He said, we are all apprentices in a craft where no one ever becomes a master. And for me, if Ernest Hemingway isn't a master, then I knew I was never gonna be a master and it was okay that I was a struggling apprentice. Well, I want to take that quote and reword it a little bit because I think it's a great big idea for the text that we're going to be in today. And that text, this big idea is this, that as Jesus followers, we are all apprentices in a craft where no one ever becomes a master. So if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you already are one or you're watching today because you're considering becoming one, I just want to warn you as we go into this text that if you're a Jesus follower, what it means is that you're an apprentice in a craft where no one ever becomes a master, especially this side of heaven. There is no master Jesus follower who has arrived we are all apprentices who have room to grow, things to learn, places we're stumbling, things we're still figuring out. And so as we dive into this text today, I'm not teaching it. And I hope you're not listening to it from a perspective that says, hey, you've got this all figured out because I certainly don't. But together, we're all learning and growing in this path. So I mentioned we're going to be in a text today, and that text is Matthew 6, 19 to 34. If you've been following our daily reading plan, this has been your Thursday reading for the week. So we're getting closer to the end of this series. Uh, Matthew, if you're new to your Bible, if you open it up or you turn it on, Matthew's the 40th book in the Bible. It's the first of a set of four books that we call the Gospels that are biographies of Jesus that share his life and his teaching. And Matthew comes right before the book of Mark. And in Matthew chapter six today, we are going to see three ways in which Jesus followers stand out in the world. What we're going to look at today is three ways in which Jesus followers are different, unique, 
where we don't look like the world that we're living in and where Jesus calls us as his apprentices to chart a new path. Let's jump in and begin with Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus is speaking here. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two two masters since he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The first way that Jesus's followers stand out in the world is that Jesus followers stop using treasure as a noun and start using treasure as a verb. Jesus followers stop using treasure as a noun and we start using treasure as a verb. Now, one of the things that that I like to do when I talk through the scriptures is try to remind us that these apply to all of us and they speak to our very human experience. And that's why Jesus was an effective teacher because he didn't just speak to people who were well-versed in religious culture. He spoke to people who were well-versed in the human experience. And, And all of us have an experience with the word treasure as a noun uh, in our life. Because to have treasure is to be human. If you are a human on earth breathing right now, you have something that you consider your treasure. It's that thing that if your house was on fire, you would grab before you left your house. It's that thing that you always know where it's at because it's valuable to you. And if you were to lose it, you would be devastated. It's that thing that you are concerned with. And I love what the theologian Paul Tillich says. He says, everyone is religious because every, because everyone has something of ultimate concern. This should be everyone. Everyone is religious because everyone has something of ultimate concern. Regardless of our beliefs about God, all of us have something that we are ultimately concerned about. And this starts from a very young age. If you've ever been around a small child, you know that small children have items that they consider their treasure. I brought my son's item right here. This is his, uh, we call it white kitty. This is actually the second white kitty. Originally, we had a white kitty who over time became gray kitty. Eventually, gray kitty was lost and we replaced gray kitty with white kitty 2.0. And and white kitty is incredibly important in our house. I don't know how much white kitty cost, but, but white kitty's value is priceless. And white kitty is a treasure to my son. Now, most of us, when we read Matthew 6, 19 to 21, where Jesus talks about storing up for yourselves treasure, we tend to think of treasure in terms of a noun, something 
that is of ultimate value or concern for us. And so when we read this text, we read it as if Jesus is saying, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, not treasure on earth. But the word treasure is not merely a noun. Treasure can also be a verb. I can have treasure, but I can also treasure something. And when treasure becomes a verb, I think we begin to think about it differently. For example, I think you can take the greatest commandment that Jesus gave and insert the word treasure. The greatest commandment Jesus gave was to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the greatest commandment. Without changing the meaning, I think we can insert the word treasure, which is misspelled. Treasure the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And it means the same thing. To love God is to treasure him. And so if we are going to experience and live out this vision that Jesus lays out in this section of Matthew 6, Jesus is not only calling us to rethink the things we value. He's also calling us to rethink the way our heart is connected to that. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if we're going to use treasure, not only as a noun, but as a verb, we're going to have to think about the way we treasure things. And Jesus begins to start painting a picture for us here. He says that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And wherever our treasure is, there's not an S. We, we forgot to bring the S with us this week. But, but he says in the text that wherever our treasure is, you will also find our heart, that they're connected. They don't go one place without the other. And so if you want to know what someone values in their heart, look at what they treasure as a verb. If you want to know what somebody's heart is attached to, look for their treasure as a noun, that thing that they have. And Jesus is calling us in this passage to not only think about those things that we treasure, but to begin to live in such a way that we treasure the right things, the eternal things, the things that matter most to him. And the place where he gets practical with this is money. Because for many of us, when we move beyond the era of white kitty treasure, for us, treasure becomes financial. It becomes dollars and cents. And the way that we then begin to see the world begins to reflect the lens of finances and how safe and secure we feel ends up having to do with how we're doing financially. Let me put it this way. The way we see the world is an indication of what's inside of us. Jesus is saying that the things that you treasure internally will come out in the way that you see the world externally. The things that your heart values will be played out in the way that you interact with the world. And for many of us, how we're doing internally 
is often a reflection of what's happening externally with our money. And the reason that is, is because money makes incredible promises to us. Money promises us the things that God offers us. Safety, security, and peace. Money tries to offer us what God has already promised us. And the reason that Jesus talks about money again and again and again is that he knows that money is going to compete for our hearts. Remember, our treasure is connected to our hearts. And he knows that if we are not careful, we can stumble into a pattern where we end up treasuring money more than we treasure Jesus. And the reason why he asks us, you know, which one is our master? The reason he reminds us we can't serve God and money is that if we treasure money, money will have our hearts. And if we treasure Jesus, Jesus will have our hearts. So the question for you today is this, do you treasure Jesus? Maybe you've not thought of that word in relationship to Jesus. Maybe you haven't thought about it as a verb in relationship to Jesus. But what we see at the beginning of this teaching that Jesus does in this section is that his followers stop using treasure as a noun to describe the things that have their hearts. And they start using treasure as a verb to describe the way they think about God. Because the reason that our treasure is in heaven is that the one that we treasure is there. And when we begin to treasure him, it changes the way we relate to everything else. Let's keep going because Jesus is far from done. He continues. He says, therefore, I tell you in light of that, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these, like a flower. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. The second thing that, that sets apart Jesus' followers from the rest of the world is that Jesus' followers live with a freedom that allows them to take a deep breath of freedom. Jesus' followers live with a freedom that allows them to take a deep breath breath of freedom. And the first thing you have to understand to really grasp what Jesus is talking about here is that he is operating from a different mindset than many of us are. When many of us think about our life and eternal life, our life here on earth and life after we die, we think about this view here in the upper picture, that there is our natural life and then there's death and then there's eternal life. 
but from the teachings of Jesus in his gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the teachings that are recorded there, it's not natural life, death, and then eternal life. It is an eternal life that begins during our natural life and continues on after death. The, the life that Jesus offers you does not start when you die. The eternal life that Jesus offers you begins when you put your faith and trust in him, when you become a follower of his, and when he makes you into a new creation. And this biblical view changes the way that we understand everything. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, you can go back and read this later, Peter talks about the inheritance that we have as followers of Jesus. And if you're living from this mindset, you think about that inheritance in terms of something that you can only claim after death. It's kind of like life insurance. You can only cash in life insurance after you die. You can't cash it in. Somebody else is going to cash it on your behalf. But the inheritance that Peter is talking about in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 is something we can begin to take advantage of now because our eternal life has already begun. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is available to us now. Not when we die, but we can start drawing on it and using it now. So fast forward to the text. Jesus says, this is why we are not to worry. Now I know for some of you, <laughs> I know for most of us who live through 2020, that somebody telling you not to worry is basically like somebody telling you not to breathe. Because for many of us, worry is as natural as breathing. But Jesus is talking to us and reminding us of what happens when we live from this worry or fear-based mindset. And, and the language he's using here is, is pictorial. The, the word for worry that he uses would have been the same kind of picture people would have thought of when they thought of a city being attacked in the ancient world. If you were in this city and it was being sieged by a foreign army, then you would take all the things that you treasure, the people, the food, the necessities, you would go into the innermost area of this castle or fortification, and you would hole up and try to survive and make it through the attack. Well, Jesus is saying that's like what happens when you worry. When you live out of fear, you constrict and restrain yourself so that you're not fully breathing, so that you're not fully experiencing life. That's what fear does. That's what worry does, is it limits us and it shrinks us down. And this is why what Jesus does when he comes and makes eternal life possible for us is so transforming. The apostle John writes about this in his epistle, 1 John. He says, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. There is a freedom that comes when we shift from that fear-based living 
to the love that God has for us, it gives us the ability to expand. And in this text in Matthew 6, Jesus paints some very clear pictures for his audience. And he uses three things here and in other places to do that. In the passage, he talks about birds. And he says, don't worry about your food because birds don't worry about their food. And if God makes sure they're fed, how much more will God make sure that you are fed? Hey, you've seen flowers before in the field and God makes sure that their beauty is the kind of beauty that even the most dressed, maked up, pressed up, person can't even touch. And if God cares about their splendor, how much more will God make sure that you're clothed? Later on in the book of Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is going to talk about children and about how if we're going to be part of his kingdom, we have to become like children. He says this, the disciples came to him and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a small child and had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is beginning to paint a picture for us that is so different than how we normally live. I mean, he's, he's calling us out of a worry that strangles us into a life we have the freedom to breathe in because he cares for us and he's going to provide for us. He's calling us out of a life where we're shrinking out of fear to one in which we can expand in his love. He's leading us out of a life where it's all on us to provide for ourselves in independence. And he's saying, trust my father, depend on him. He will provide for you. He's, he's calling us out of a life of scarcity where we're worried that there's not going to be enough into a life of abundance where we trust that our father is the, the king and the master of the cattle on a thousand hills and he has enough to provide for our needs. He, he calls us out of a, a, a greed and an injustice where we have to fight and hoard and into a generosity and, a, and love where we have enough for us and we have enough to share and he's calling us out of an adult-like child where, where we look like an adult, but really we're acting very childish into a childlike manner. He says, unless you become like this child, children can't dress themselves. Children can't put a roof over their head, put food on the table. Jesus says, if you don't become like that child where you're dependent and, and you're not worried, you're never going to enter my kingdom. And this is why Jesus' followers live with a freedom that allows them to take a deep breath. So many of us, we spend all of our days never fully breathing. We breathe shallow breaths because we're always living with the burden of having to make it on our own. And Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower and live in my kingdom, friend, it is not all on you. Jesus is saying, I've got you. You can breathe. And you can leave behind this, this old life. And you can step into this new one. A life of abundance, not scarcity. 
a life of expansion, not constriction. A life where you're no longer suffocating and strangling, where you have freedom. And Jesus says, if all these things are true about my father and his love for you, that means you no longer have to live as familiar with worry as you are with your own breath. And here's where he, land, here's where he lands the plane. Here's where he concludes this section. He says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, food, clothing, and your heavenly father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you've been worried about will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The third thing that sets apart Jesus's followers in this world is that Jesus' followers don't just seek the kingdom of God. They seek the kingdom first. Long before I ever thought that I was going to be a pastor, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. I spent many afternoons during the week and many long Saturdays on a baseball field like this one. Played baseball from the time I was in kindergarten through high school graduation. It was all state my senior year and had some of my greatest times with my friends out on a baseball field like this. And if you've ever played baseball before, or if you ever watched a game, then you know that the goal is for the hitter to make it from home plate where they're batting all the way around from first base to second base to third base and then back to home plate. And the team, which gets the most batters through that cycle, wins the game. They score the most runs. And and it's important that you go through those bases in that order. In fact, if a player is running and for some reason they step all the way over first base or they just decide, you know what? Forget first base. I'm just going to second. And they make it all the way around and they touch home plate. They can still be out because they didn't touch first base. And this is essentially what Jesus is talking about. For many of us, we would say, you know what? I seek God's kingdom. I care about God's kingdom. I care about the things that God cares about. In fact, I care about my relationship with God. And, and that, I'm not going to question you. That might be true. My question isn't, do you have a relationship with God? And does God matter in your life? My question is, do you seek God and his kingdom first? Does your relationship with God matter more than anything else to you? Does what God cares about matter more to you than anything else? Because what Jesus is saying in this passage is seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. So it doesn't matter if you end up somewhere else And then you get around to God. What Jesus is saying is if you don't seek me first, it's as if you haven't sought me at all. And to go back to our metaphor from earlier, like a spare tire. It's good to have a spare tire in your 
car. It's good to know that it has air. But most of us don't use our spare tire on any given day. It's a pretty rare thing. And the relationship that we have with God is like that. God does not want to be a spare tire. He doesn't want to be the base that you get around to when you feel like it and when it's convenient. His followers, Jesus' followers, don't just seek his kingdom. They seek his kingdom first. And unless you live from that basic understanding, everything else that Jesus calls you to will not make sense. In fact, it will be unbelievable and seemingly impossible. Especially what comes next in the passage. Because if you have your Bible open, Jesus goes from seeking the kingdom to telling us to not worry about tomorrow. (laughs) Most of us are like, that's easier said than done. And it is. For many of us, we have an easier time trusting Jesus with our eternity than we do tomorrow. Many of us go, I have no problem trusting Jesus with life after death. It's life before death that I'm worried about. And Jesus is inviting his followers to take him seriously And he's extending an open hand to you today to say, will you trust me that I created you and this thing called life? Will you trust me that I actually know better than you how to live this thing called life? Will you trust me that I know you better than you know yourself and nothing that you are worried about or burdened about is a surprise to me? And will you grow in your understanding of my desire for you that we wouldn't just have a relationship that's part of your life, but is the treasure of your life? Would you treasure me? Would you seek me first? Would you put me before everything and anything else? And would you allow me to sort everything else after that? You might say, Scott, I am not good at that at all. I know. As Jesus' followers, we're all apprentices in a craft where no one ever becomes a master. And so my hope is as we continue to dig into this passage and begin chapter seven next week, that we would embrace the humble mindset that we are all learning and growing in this pursuit, that none of us have arrived, none of us will ever arrive, and we all have room to grow. So let's get after it together. And speaking of that, I've got some next steps for you today. So if you're taking notes on the handout, these are on the back. And here's the first one. Identify the place where you feel like a beginner in terms of following Jesus. None of us enjoy being a beginner. In fact, the older we get, the more rare it is for us to feel like a beginner. Do you remember your first day? on your job that you have now, how overwhelmed and confused you were? Do you remember what it was like to to, to ride a bike for the first time? For so many of us, we have not been a beginner for a long time, but there are places when we get honest in terms of following Jesus that we feel like a beginner still. So I want you today to identify where is that place where you feel like, man, I just have so much more to grow. I, I still have so much to figure out. Where is that place? And then number two, 
determine what treasuring Jesus looks like in that area. What would it mean to love and prioritize and orient your life totally around Jesus in that area? What would it mean to value Jesus in that area first and foremost and to seek his kingdom first and foremost there? And then number three, I want to encourage you this week to memorize Matthew 6, 33 to 34 as a reminder of our practice as apprentices. What does that say? It says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you as well. To not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew 6, 34 is about as good a summary of 2020 as I can imagine. And so I want to encourage you to memorize that so it will remind you that this is our practice. This is the work we're doing. None of us have figured it out, but we are in this together and we are building a new life with Jesus. And he promises that even though we're still figuring this out, we are not figuring it out on our own. We are figuring it out with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you for your grace. When we read scripture, Jesus, especially a passage like this, we see so many places in our lives where we're still beginners, where we're trying to figure something out that we are never going to master this side of heaven. But in that place, we don't need to feel guilt or shame or condemnation because you are walking with us. You are teaching us. You are growing us and you are changing us. We're not yet where you want us to be, Jesus, but we are not where we used to be. And you are going to finish what you started in us. You are going to train and transform and form and develop us into people that look like your son, Jesus. But we're not there yet. So we pray that you would show us those growing edges We pray that you would show us those blind spots. We pray that you would reveal those places where our life is propped up on something that's not you. We pray you'd reveal those places in our lives where we have been treasuring something that is not you, where we've been holding on to some treasure for peace and security that is not you. And we pray that you would allow us to take that deep breath that comes from exchanging worry and replacing it with you. We pray that as we build our life on you, that you would show us just how good and worthy and secure our lives are with you. We're leaning on you today, Jesus. We pray you'd continue your work in us. In your name we pray.